the story of two disciples on the road to Emmaus. The implication uh, is that these are not among the twelve specific uh, disciples, but among that little larger group, and um, they are uh, kind of leaving uh, Jerusalem, headed toward Emmaus, uh, somewhat downcast, perplexed, uh, confused, disillusioned, all of those kinds of things that go when you knew for sure in your heart what you believed was going to happen, and it didn't turn out that way. And you were just positive that you knew what God was doing. And now you don't see what you expected. And there's perplexity. You've been there, haven't you? When you just knew that you knew, and then it didn't work out the way you thought it would. kind of rocks your faith, doesn't it? You know intellectually that God is always true and never lies. And so you start to doubt yourself. But then you ask the question, how can I ever know? How can I ever be sure? How can I sort this out? And so all of these things are whirling around in their minds. Beginning in verse 13, the Scripture says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stopped and stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have happened there in these last days? You you can just read the incredulity in uh, Cleopas' face. It's like, who are you? (laughs) An alien? Did you just land? How can you miss this? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And once more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. 
Some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. Can't you see that? They're turning aside to go into the village and Jesus is starting to walk away. And They urged him strongly, stay with us. They had been listening to the scriptures unfolded and I don't think they'd had enough. They wanted to hear more. It's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and broke it and gave thanks and began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And suddenly he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us when he talked to us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together saying, It's true! The Lord is risen! He appeared to Simon, and then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I thought about this incident this morning, and I'm going to come back to it uh, toward the end of the message, but... um, I want to back up a little bit, and I want to raise some questions, uh, at least a question in our mind. Why was it necessary for Jesus to rise from the grave? And not just to rise, but to rise bodily in his physical body. Why was that necessary? The atonement took care of the issue of sins forgiven. When he died on the cross and said it is finished, the task of redemption and the forgiveness of sin and the cleansing uh, that we required to deliver us from the penalty of the law had all been completed. It was all done. It is finished. The Greek word is you well know by now, to telestai means the debt has been satisfied in full. It is paid. So, why was it important for Jesus to rise from the grave? Couldn't He just have given up His Spirit and in that Spirit ascended back into heaven? He didn't have a body before He came here. He 
needed a body crafted and shaped for him in Mary's womb for him to inhabit on this earth. And so perhaps he could have just shed the earthly thing and gone on back to the presence of the Father. Um, did he need to, to do anything else to effect or accomplish the work of salvation? Why was it essential that he come out of the grave? And I want to give you at least three reasons this morning. There's probably dozens, but I think there are three that really underscore the, the essential significance of the physical, bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, He was raised in order to prove that the curse had been broken. The Scripture says that by one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death has passed upon all men because all have sinned. There is a curse that came because of sin. God said, cursed is the ground because of you. Uh, God had told Adam, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And although he and Eve did not drop dead physically the day they ate of the fruit of that forbidden tree, they did, in fact, die immediately in their spirit. Their, the light went out. The Holy Spirit vacated their, their being. They were left without the light and presence of God. And because they did not have His sustaining life, they became subject to the curse of the ground and, and the uh, death that began to permeate the world because God is the author of life. But the devil is the one who loves death. And so, day by day, year by year, decade by decade, Adam and Eve began to age until finally the day came when they physically died. And all of their children have died. And everyone since then has died. And if Jesus tarries, we will die. There is a curse that is upon us because of sin. It was essential that Jesus come out of the grave physically and bodily in order to uh, demonstrate and prove visibly that that curse had, in fact, been broken. For by one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death has passed upon all, so also through one man. Life comes back in. Righteousness is obtained. Restoration is possible. It is through Jesus Christ that there is the hope of reversing the curse of the sinfulness. First of all, by having the light come back on. By having the Spirit come alive. And then by having the, the, the soul, the mind, and the will, and the emotions drawn to God day by day, little by little, 
as we move closer to Him, understand Him more, begin to experience Him more deeply, uh, love Him more sincerely, we move back toward God. And then, finally, there will come the day when our bodies are raised out of the grave. Because Jesus has come from the grave and proved that the curse is broken and we are no longer subject to it. Another reason that Jesus had to rise bodily, it sounds similar, it is similar, but it is a significant difference, is that the, to prove that sin's power has been nullified. The power of sin is the law. And it is the law that condemns us to die. We are under the curse of the law. We are uh, under the penalty of the law. In order to prove that the power of sin has been done away with, it was essential that Jesus rise out of the grave to demonstrate without question, that sin's power had been broken. He said on the cross, it is finished. The debt is paid. The the forgiveness of sin has been accomplished. It is now available to all who will believe. But what about its power? The power of sin is in death and in the law. And and sin always drags us down. It kills us. It destroys us. It ruins us. And as Jesus died on the cross, and his uh, he went in spirit to accomplish some other things. That those of you that were at the sunrise service, uh, we talked a little bit about that this morning as he announced uh, to those who were waiting to hear the news. All those Old Testament saints who had uh, died looking forward to the cross by faith to announce to them that good news, I have paid the price. Your sins are now removed from you. You are completely free. You can go into the Father's presence. But if Satan could somehow have kept him in the ground then death would not have been defeated. The proof that Jesus Christ had truly defeated the power of sin is in the reality that He came bodily out of the grave. It could not hold Him down because it no longer had any power over Him. He had defeated it. And so when he came out of the grave, he demonstrated to all those who saw him that he had truly won the victory and that sin had indeed been destroyed and it could not any longer hold us in its grip. I want to read you a passage that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as he talks about the resurrection. And listen to his logic uh, as he explains this. Now I make known to you, brethren, 
the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which also you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scripture, that He appeared to Cephas, and then the twelve, and then He appeared to more than five hundred at one time, most of whom are still alive as I write. He appeared to James, and then all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, really not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. Now, he says, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Not even Christ has been raised. And listen to his conclusion on that argument. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. It is the resurrection that proves the atonement. It is the resurrection that validates the death that He died on the cross for our sin. And Paul goes so far to take it as to say, that if Christ did not physically and bodily come out of the grave fully and completely alive in bodily form, then our faith is worthless. Our hope is empty. We are of all people most to be pitied if Christ is only good for this life. We are a sad, sorry lot because the world offers all kinds of interesting and tantalizing things and we're off wasting our time believing in empty ideas that have no basis in truth. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the validation of all that He lived for and all that He died for. Friends, Christianity is not a philosophy. It is not a good way to live. It is not some 
lofty ideal of the golden rule and the law of love and all the nice things we should try to be. Christianity is a relationship with a living God who has come out of the grave to give us life and to change us. And if that is not true, then the whole book is worthless and useless. The resurrection is essential to the faith. Some people today believe they can be Christians and deny the bodily resurrection. They think they can be Christians and deny the incarnation. They think they can be Christians and deny the sinless life or the blood atonement. Well, I'm not going to argue how smart or ignorant uh, you may be when you come to Christ, the thief on the cross. I don't know what all he knew, but he knew something enough to say, Lord, have mercy on me, pity me, a sinner. He knew Jesus offered something else. I'm not going to get into that, but once you come to Christ and begin to get it, you cannot just simply buy into a philosophy. You can't adopt some principles. You can't say, oh, Jesus is a good man and I, and I need to live like Him. I need to try to, to be like Jesus. I think I'll get one of those bracelets. What would Jesus do? And I'll, and I'll try to practice that every day. I'm going to give it my best shot. Let me know how that works for you, okay? <laughs> and by the way, let me know how keeping the Ten Commandments works and the Golden Rule and... Oh, it could go on and on. No. That is not faith in Christ. And that is not Christianity. It is a relationship. A relationship with a living God who lives in me and through me to accomplish His purposes and to make me like Him by His power. It is also essential that Christ come out of the grave to be living proof that we too will be raised. Paul goes on to say in Corinthians 15, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead, so as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. Christ had to come bodily out of the grave to give living testimony to the reality that you and I will come bodily out of the grave. That is my greatest hope. Whenever I uh, am officiating at a funeral or I stand at the graveside, I often put my hand on the casket where the earthly tent of that person now rests. 
And I believe with all my heart that one day a trumpet will sound. And that person's spirit and soul will be reunited with that body. And that body will be bodily, physically raised to live forever. And it doesn't matter if they're lost at sea or vaporized by a mortar or cremated or whatever else. God does not lose track of the elements. (laughs) He's the master. He can put it all back together. Every place in Scripture where Jesus was not recognized after the resurrection, if you look at it closely, it was because their eyes were veiled. God wanted to accomplish something before He showed them the truth. And then they recognized Him. And friends, we'll recognize each other. You know, uh, Marilyn's not going to come back looking like Jim. (laughs) I'm not going to take that any further. I'm going to... We're going to leave that one right where it is. But we're going to recognize each other. We're going to know each other. We're going to fellowship together. We're going to enjoy each other forever in bodies that will inhabit a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus came bodily out of the grave to demonstrate that we too will be raised with Him. And so shall we ever be with Him. It is not the end when I vacate this tabernacle, this tent. It is only an interlude. And when God brings it back from the ground, it's not going to have leaky valves or arthritis or spinal problems or whatever else is going on with you. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be whole. It's going to be complete. It's going to be everlasting. And Jesus had to come out of the grave to prove that that, in fact, was going to be the case. I want to go back to those fellows on the road to Emmaus just for a moment. Jesus walked along with them, and he began to explain the Scriptures to them. And as he did, they testified after the fact, did not our hearts burn within us? Do you know what that feeling's like? Have you had that experience? Your ears are taking it in, your eyes are seeing it, your your mind is processing it, but there's something, there's something living about it. There's something uh, alive. There's something exciting. There's something convicting. There's something convincing. There's something going on in here, in the seat of our emotions, in, in the core of our being. We're hearing from Jesus. They were hearing from Jesus. They, Their eyes hadn't been opened yet, but they were walking the path with the Master as He was explaining to them the Word. I want you to know, friends, that one of the most wonderful 
truths about the resurrection is that Jesus is raised to walk with us in newness of life. To walk the road together. He invites us into fellowship. Whereas if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's not this way, that's this way. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of God's Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. Even as we walk, the dust that accumulates on our feet, we, we beautifully experience that symbolic practice Thursday evening, but as we walk with Jesus, it's like a, a never-ending flow of His cleansing power so that we remain in constant fellowship. He is raised to walk with us. Not to leave us alone. He told His disciples that, I will never leave you alone. I will always be with you. You will never be by yourself. Wherever you go, I will be there. And I will be by your side. There's a hymn that we sing, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And the chorus goes, I, I know that He is living because He lives within my heart. I know that He is living because I have fellowship with Him. I have communion with Him. I, I walk with Him. And as we walk along, Jesus, by His Spirit who resides within us, explains to us the Word. He unveils the truth for us. He, he puts it together. He makes it make sense. I hope you know the experience. And if you don't, I encourage you to come before God and invite Him to teach you His Word. Not, not the commentaries, not the footnotes in your Bible, not even me on Sunday morning. Um, there's a place for all of that. But to get alone with, with the Lord and ask Him to teach you His Word by the Holy Spirit to explain to you what it means, you will find amazing things. Some of you have undertaken now to read through the Old Testament uh, as you did the New Testament. And I, uh, Margie was telling me yesterday that uh, you had ordered Bibles and uh, the Old Testament, the whole Bible uh, in the NIV, and you're going to be reading that, and that's uh, great for me to hear. And as you begin to read the Scripture, the Holy Spirit has an amazing way of taking this verse and this verse and putting them together, and then adding that one to it, and building your understanding and building your insight into the nature of God. He explains things to you. He teaches you about life. He, he he opens your eyes to see the truth. He makes it come alive for you. It's, it's not words on a page. It's the living God speaking the living Word. Those disciples on the road to Emmaus, they didn't have a scroll in front of them. Uh, Jesus was opening the Scriptures verbally beginning with Moses and the prophets and explaining all along how it fit together. And, and they were just growing 
in their understanding as they walked with Him. Jesus is alive to have relationship with you and in that relationship to reveal Himself to you. And He does so through His Word, but by His Spirit also, so that it is a living and dynamic thing. And the amazing and wonderful thing about walking with God in this way is the lessons are particularly designed for you. See, I have but one sermon to preach, and there are all of you sitting here, and you're hearing the same message. And I know the Holy Spirit will apply it to your hearts, and you may walk out of here, and a day or two from now, you might only remember one thing I said, one sentence. It'll be the thing that God spoke to your heart about that met some need in your life, and it will probably be different than the person sitting next to you. In fact, what amazes me sometimes is people come out and say, I got so much out of it uh, when you said yada, yada, yada. And I thought, I I didn't say that. (laughs) I'm not sure where you heard it, but I didn't say it. But God must have put it together for you. It's amazing how He does that. But when you walk with Him personally and in communion and fellowship... He designs the conversation for you. Just where you are. Just what you need. Just what you need to hear. Not long ago, I came to one of our prayer meetings. And I'd had a rough day. I was really discouraged and kind of uh, fighting depression and a bit frustrated, and to tell you the truth, I didn't want to come. Is that okay for me to say? Yeah, because you know what I'm talking about. But I have to come, so I can't, no. (laughs) No, I, I chose to come. And we always start out in prayer meeting by singing a hymn. And I don't know if it was uh, Marilyn or Peggy or somebody called out a hymn. And I turned to it and I thought, oh, Lord, you know just how to nail me. You know just what I need to hear. And as we sang the hymn, my heart melted and joy returned. And God met me. He does that. It's an amazing thing. It's not coincidence. It's not an accident. It's the living God walking with us, never leaving us, knowing everything about us, and just exactly what we need. Well, they came to Emmaus. The two disciples were turning toward the town, and Jesus kind of pretended like he was going to go on. Just waiting for them to say, no, 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 come on, stay with us, which he did. And he sat down with them at the table, and he offered a prayer, and he broke the bread, and their eyes were opened. And friends... God wants to break bread with you. He is 
the bread of life. He is your sustenance. He is your strength. You can go for a while without water. You can go for much longer without bread. But you cannot go without Jesus. He is the living water and the bread of life. And as He fellowships with you, He breaks the bread of His own being and shares with us as we are partakers of the divine nature. And He feeds us that sustaining food that will nourish us and last forever. Do you know that experience this morning? We don't come this morning to celebrate a philosophy. We're not here to talk about some ideals. We're here to celebrate a living Savior, a resurrected Lord, not just a phantom of our imagination, but a real human being who came bodily out of the tomb and ascended bodily into heaven, who sits at the Father's right hand, who ever lives to make intercession for us, and yet who by His Spirit walks with us and and communes with us and feeds us and nourishes us, we're celebrating today a living Savior who has invited us to walk the road with Him. Are you on that road? Are you living that way? And if what I've been sharing sounds like something you haven't been experiencing, and yet it sounds like something you want, I want you to know you can begin the journey right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to come somewhere and kneel down and do anything. Right where you are, you can say, Lord, my eyes have been opened today. I realize why you came out of the grave. I know that you're alive. My heart has been burning within me. And right now, I ask you to forgive my sin. I ask you to cleanse my life. I ask you to receive me as I take you, my Lord and Savior. I want to walk the Jesus road. I want to walk with you. If that's your heart's desire and you pray as simply as I've just spoken, right where you sit, you can begin that walk with Jesus today. And the good news is, He came out of the grave. It will never end. You'll live forever in His presence. Thank You, Father, for Your Word. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your loving kindness to us. Thank You that You not only died for us, but that You rose for us and that You live for us and that You're coming for us. In Your blessed and holy name, We pray. Amen.